So I actually did. Um, I was over at Highland Wednesday setting up for the event yesterday, and there was a, I don't remember what they call it, but there was a big group of um, younger women golfers, and they all went out, and it sounded like it was something they, they've done a couple times throughout the year. I don't think I saw you. No. I um, think you're talking about divots and divas. It might have been. I'm sorry, what? Divots and divas, which I like. not that. a huge fan of the term. It, it, we're not divas. We That's do fair. have a lot of divots. I would but say, do you, do you take some earth with you? Yes. Okay. More often than not, but still. It's okay. The diva part throws so me you off. you can go back to your dabbling with divots? That's pretty good. Yeah, I take yeah. that. I dabble with golf and divots as well. More full-time divot, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you can That's work fair. on the rebrand of it. We'll we'll work with Highland on yeah. that one. Yeah, I think Bill will be open to that. I think so. Yeah, but I didn't see that. So, um, in your season or your your job runs through a lot of the golf season, so it's a little challenge to try to do both. Um, but do you play? I do. Hence why I dabble with golf because right. I was very excited as I work most of the weekends being an Indy car. Yeah. I was like, oh, we get a free day to make up for the working on the weekends. I'll golf. However, that free day is always Monday. Courses uh, are closed. Yeah. So haven't gotten out to the, to, to the course very often. Right. Well, so when you say you dabble, that's just because you don't get to play very often. Correct. Yes. yes I've taken sure. lessons. I've got my own set of clubs. Um, but like would I go to Bandon Dunes and pay that much to golf? Probably not worth my game. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that's a first statement. I will say this. So her husband Jim just came back from from there. We took our father there for his you mean the saint? birthday. Yes, the mm -hmm. saint. Um I have stayed true to my code. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's been what, shoot, twelve, thirteen years since we were there. Yeah. Um it's it's a phenomenal place. I don't know if that helps or not. So I but hear it, it was it's it's pretty spectacular. And and now it's even more so because when we were there, um, I think they had three courses then. And now they're up to four. I think he said six. Oh, is it six? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a it's a very cool place. I mean, you can just go there for a month. Like a sabbatical. Don't encourage it. Don't well, encourage it. <laughs> you know, how about this? We'll tie it in. After the Portland race, you can go down down the coast and you're it's there. Not a bad idea, actually. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, you're already 90% there. You might as well just finish it out. There's a week. Well, this past season, there was a week that I could have done that. Instead, I went right to Laguna Seca and hung out with the seals. Yeah. Well, it's not terrible either. I'm just saying. Could have gone down to the Lamette Valley and done some tastings and then just hung out. I needed you as my travel agent for <laughs> this one. Goodness. like Take some notes, okay? All take right. some notes. Next time... Hitting you up. Give me some ideas. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, let's get rolling. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Industrious Podcast. Thank all of you for joining us from wherever you guys get your podcasts. If you're tuning into the Assessor YouTube channel, thank you for doing so. We appreciate that. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already done so. Hit the notification bell so you can be alerted when new episodes like this one drop. That'd be great. Won't cost you a single dime. Um, today, we have the privilege of being joined by Miss Lauren Guardian. Uh, Lauren is the Director of Communications at Arrow McLaren IndyCar. Welcome That's to right. the Industrious Podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. You're welcome. Uh, why don't you give everyone a little background on yourself? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm Director of Communications at Aero McLaren IndyCar. It's my first venture into motorsport, but do have an athletic background in terms of um, career-wise. I started out after college, which I was a pole vaulter in college for four years. We're going to come back to that. Okay. Keep yeah, going. we got to okay. bookmark that one. Yes. <laughs> Um, and then I was an admissions counselor for my alma mater, Southeast Missouri State University in Cape Girardeau, um, where I worked with athletes as they were coming into the university. So okay. it was kind of like their liaison between high school and their coach and college yeah. admissions. 
From there, worked at the NCAA, which brought me to Indianapolis. I was part of their postgraduate internship program for communications, spent a year there, and then was trying to stay within athletics, but wanted to stay in Indy as well. Mm -hmm. And actually, that led me to being a college relations consultant for Republic Airways, which is an airline that's headquartered here in Indianapolis, but has connections with American, Delta, and United Airlines for um, code share flying. And so worked there for about 10 years in different roles from recruitment to marketing to communications, um, and then also started their flight school Lift Academy um, with kind of like a project team of three others. Did that, like I said, for 10 years. And then last year, found myself in IndyCar, um, which was quite funny because when I interviewed um I my final interview was was with Zach Brown mm. and his first question was, what do you know about IndyCar or what do you know about racing? And I was like, well, there's the Indy 500. Tell me you threw out Bernoulli's principle. I mean, you came from flying. I didn't know. I mean, his no. question took me kind of off guard and yeah. I was like, that's about it. But I love to learn and was like, all right, job is gone. Not happening. Right. An hour later, get the call. And I guess he liked that I was ready to learn because... Here I am today, a year in, and know a lot more about racing than I ever thought I would. Perfect. So you said you were on the product team to start the Lyft Academy. Mm -hmm. Are you a licensed pilot? I am not. I have enough hours to be a private pilot. However, I am terrified of doing the solo flight. So I um, have not yet done that. But it is on a bucket list. Gotcha. Cool. I'm going to go back even farther. So uh, born and raised in... Breeze, Illinois, which okay. I say St. Louis because no one's ever heard of Breeze, Illinois. Right. Is it essentially a suburb of St. Louis or like a, little a little bit further, further out? Okay. About 45 minutes away. Okay. So not East St. Louis. Further than East, East St. Louis. East of East St. Louis. Easter East St. Louis, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Noted. Uh, you, you said pole vaulter and that immediately got my attention or our attention because you don't hear that very often. Um, uh, two questions. Hey, two questions. Wait, hang on. You don't want to do the solo flight, but you'll... You'll project yourself flying off the ground with a stick over another stick. You know, I was younger then, and it's like baby steps. At first, you're basically walking over the pole, and then you finally like get some like launch, and then you project yourself. But by then, you have you some confidence. You fling yourself through the air using a big-ass piece of PVC pipe. Yeah, and that's basically. how I would describe yeah, it. Yeah, more bendy, but yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, fair enough. So- this begs the question, number one, how, how did pole vaulting come about? Because I, I ran track one year, freshman year in high school, and for something an, an event like the pole vault, like no one comes in as a freshman in high school and knows how to do that. It's always like, does anybody have any interest in this? All right, let's try it out and see what happens. That's exactly it. So I, like I said, went to a really small school in a small town um, but went to a strength and conditioning coach for track. I was a middle distance runner okay. um, in St. Louis. So every week I would go an hour away, do my um, strength and conditioning for the 800 meters. Um, one day the track was closed. They were working on it for some reason. So the only thing that we had to work with was the pole vault runway. Okay. And so I was doing a lot of sprint drills. And finally my coach was like, you know what? What do you think about pole vaulting? I was like, I don't really have any thoughts, never considered it before. And my dad is standing behind me and he's like, scholarships. No one does. <laughs> no one's a pole vaulter. He's like, get let her let her give her let her give it a try. Um, so I did that day and was like, this is a lot better than the 800 meters. Um, and then that was history. Did um that was my sophomore year in high school. And then senior year got a scholarship to the university and did it for four more years. Wow. I have to ask you this question. We're both short. No, no everyone at this table is is vertically challenged, so to speak. Is there any, this is my lack of knowledge on pole vaulting, does height help? Does it not help? I'm You're on the right track. Curious. Yes. Um, my stature, which I'm less than five feet, I'm almost five feet. We were um, judging. Yeah, I list my height as fits well on airplanes. So like That's it ties right back to, to your history. Yeah. That's very true. I never need the extra space. Yeah. 
Um, so yes, height does help. It's all about physics. So you have like a better launch if you're, you know, the angle of the pole to the um, pit box is greater. Um, however, whenever you have to invert to get over the pole, you have less body mass. So that's helpful. But in general, I would say pole vaulters are a little bit more on the lean, lengthy side. Okay. Now I'm thinking Top Gun. You were in an inverted <laughs> dive. What were you doing? <laughs> Foreign relations. See your communications. It just, gosh, it just keeps looping back together. There you go. All right. Um, I, I just was thinking of pole vaulting and you know, your question on body type, et cetera. So changing that to the um, less than the, from a physical standpoint, but more from a the experience and what being a college athlete taught you, how did that carry forward into your career outside of, you know, getting, you know, staying within athletics from, from then to now, what, what kind of experience did that really, how did you benefit from that? You know, I think there are a few things and like, even like there are companies that are committed to hiring college athletes, like enterprise mm -hmm. rental car, yeah. all former college athletes. Um, I think there are a few takeaways. One is to no surprise teamwork um you know you're always depending on someone to get something done so communication i think has really helped in that regard of you're more eager to to depend on other people and know kind of how to reciprocate that um but then discipline that i mean i take it for granted but time management like a job's not done until it's done yeah. for me um and then the last thing i would say would be um like you're forced into situations because of sports. You know, you're you're forced into like meeting people that you have no commonality with because they're on your team. Um, so I think that that's helped me a lot, especially in a communications role, because you kind of have to be willing to talk and learn and grow from the people around you. Right. What So from like, you look at non-athletic based industries and, and the, the corporate cultures that most companies have, I would imagine, I mean, not being directly involved, I'm just, I would imagine that any of your positions, whether it be at the NCAA, Republic may be a little bit different, but now then in being in the motorsport industry, there's a, there's a certain level of intensity that just naturally sort of permeates that's different than non-athletic organizations. Do you feel that? Does that come into the office? Yes, a little bit. I think like as an athlete, you're used to kind of always being on, you know, I didn't like leave my dorm room and just go play video games for the next five hours or, you know, hang out. I was always on a schedule of weightlifting to speed drills to actual practice. Um, and I think in my communications role, especially at the airlines, actually, it was always that 24 seven mm. um, planes were always in the air. Mm -hmm. So that was less of a shock of like, oh, my gosh, my job's not just nine to five. I don't have this time where I clock out and head home and hang out. It was always just, all right, what's next? Gotcha. Uh, what how has that translated to your current position in terms of this, like culturally speaking? Was there a natural transition there for you? Yes. Yeah. One Interestingly enough, like pilots and race car drivers have a lot in common. In fact, you see a lot of drivers who are pilots, like yeah. Alexander Rossi, for yeah. example, is a pilot as well. Um, so the the personalities are very much alike, very type A. Um, that was and, very polite yeah, way of putting it. Trying to be PC here. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then also you have, um, I would say like the... The risk factor. Mm -hmm. um, airlines, obviously, they have so many regulations and so many safety standards that there's a lot of guardrails in place, but the risk is always there. I mean, I could write a book probably on the different crisis communication scenarios that we had over the 10 years. But um, from a race perspective, every race, every time the car gets on track, we have a crisis communications plan that's like in the wings waiting um, to be used, knock on wood. We've been um, pretty clear on that side, but you just never know. Right. Interesting. What aspect of, I mean, is there any element of, hey, we're we're in this as a means of entertainment 
or is it a hundred percent we are here to to win and create a a mentality and an infrastructure and an operation, et cetera, to win? Is there any element of we're also in entertainment or is it just we're a sport? So I think that's actually the reason why I really liked Errol McLaren and what attracted me to them whenever this opportunity came about because they're 100% like winning focused. Mm -hmm. Zach Brown is a competitor at heart and that will always be his main goal is to do whatever it takes to beat anybody else on the track. However, from a brand and marketing standpoint, like we are there to be the most engaging um, team for fans. So like everything that we do, we want to make it exciting. We want to make it engaging. We want to make it fun for the people that are wearing papaya in the stands. I was just going to ask, is papaya your new favorite color? <laughs> My wardrobe is accidentally papaya everything. I mean, this is an offshade of papaya, but um, I used to, when I worked for Republic, like have all of this like mustard yellow and navy blue. And now it's like shifting slowly to this orange, which is now papaya always in my mind. Yeah. Well, total communications person who is on brand. That's not just orange, it's papaya. Well, yeah. It's, it's it's totally. Totally. Yes, that's good. Yes. The answer you just gave is your post one year answer to Zach, to his question when he interviewed you saying, you know, why, what do you know about IndyCar? That answer that you just gave, while not specific to IndyCar, but specific to what you, what the team represents, I think would be a phenomenal answer. Well, I hope he agrees. Well, hopefully he's listening or watching. Probably you, not. Now but. that you're a year in, have you gotten awarded the uh, McLaren company car yet? No. Um, and I, can you fit a pumpkin seat in there? You know. You'll make it work. So we have a um, we have a car in our team gym that is just there for like marketing purposes and whatnot. And um, Tony Kanan the other day is like, why is this here? Why is this not in my garage? And so I think probably in a few weeks it will be in his garage because <laughs> he'll just find Tony the Kanan. keys and drive it away. Yes. And mm -hmm. no one so, be like, oh, Tony's taking out on a, uh, hey, I'm here for, I, I got to take it for a little PR on-site visit. Right. And everyone will just believe him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Unless I beat him to it, which maybe I will. There you go. But my husband knows my driving skills and I think I'm the wrong person behind the wheel. Well. I don't know. Most people would just keep their cars away. And so maybe you have this like natural invisible buffer. No? The curbs are still there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Noted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why my wife is not allowed to drive sedans. She finds every curb and she's going to hear this possibly and, and deny every aspect of that. But it's just look at her rims. That's, that's, I have to say. that's a problem. I can't deny it because my rims outside in the parking lot, yeah. you'll tell. Mm -hmm. Okay. So- Share with us, if you would, what what was it, you know, gone through your first season, what does is, what is your typical week look like um, for a director of communications of an IndyCar team? So IndyCar season, 17 race weekend, well, I guess 16 because you've got um, the Iowa doubleheader. But when it comes down to it, you're doing, you know, the extra qualifying weekend at before Indy 500. So it's a little bit around 17 weekends. Um, we travel from about Thursday morning through Sunday. So that's all race weekend. So on Thursday, we get there, we do set up, we do a track walk, which is my favorite part. Um, I run the track walk. Okay. So um, get some crazy looks from the drivers and the how engineers. Does, and, and this, you know, not knowing the inner workings, maybe a dumb question, but how does a director of communications suddenly become in charge of the track walk? Oh, I'm not in charge. I'm like, I run it, like oh, jog okay. it. Sorry. Gotcha. Yes. You're not actually inspecting the track. You're just getting. When fat. I heard you say you run Thanks the track walk, I'm thinking, oh, why are you running? Thank God, that? no, that would They're be physically gotcha. running. I'm physically running the track walk. Makes sense. Um, and then the drivers and the engineers are on these like little buggies and toes tugs, um, to go around. And then Friday is the first time we're on track with cars, so that's a practice. Um, and then get the cars warmed up. Saturday's qualifying, and then Sunday is race day. So through the weekend, I am managing the drivers and their schedules, any media yeah. appearances, any partner appearances. Um, I'm basically their manager from that standpoint of making sure that they hit all of those appearances on on target. Um, then come Monday, it's pretty much a flex day for most people where they can either catch up on work or just work from home, um, try to catch up on the things that they need to, like laundry. And then the rest, the Tuesday, Wednesday, 
is basically sending out pre-race notes to media. Um, So we get quotes to preview the next race from our drivers and from our team leaders, send those out to media. And then Wednesday we like pitch stories. So what kind of um, what kind of things do we have coming up for the race weekend with our drivers? I mentioned that McLaren is very much wanting to be the most engaging. Mm -hmm. So other than what we do on track, we try to get our drivers. um, Sometimes they enjoy it. Sometimes they don't. But to do other things Um, like, for example, ahead of the GP here, used my um, airline connections and got Pato Award Felix Rosenquist and Alex Rossi to fly. So they flew with Lyft um, and did that and invited media out there for that. In Portland, we did a coffee um, tasting and latte making competition. So we worked with one of the roasters out there, invited some media out, and the um, the guys tried their best with lattes, but they ended up just like looking like big blobs. Um, but yeah, just fun things like that that yeah. that create a buzz outside of like what they do in the race car. Yeah, I was going to ask you, it's like what when you say engagement, what different forms um, does that take? In terms of, of it trying to engage your audience, I mean, what what are, what are some of the most creative ways, and that are also atypical from what other teams do or what the industry does in general? So, some of that. So, like these offsite like partnerships with local businesses, I think yeah. are helpful to hit a audience that's local. Um, but then also, like IndyCar is not basketball; it's not NFL that people just turn on their TV and it's there. Yeah, you kind of have to look for it, especially on the weekends that it's on Peacock. Right. Um, so we're just trying to get people to like know our drivers that aren't necessarily already fans of IndyCar. Sure. So how do we make Pato Ward, who is a complete character, how do we make other people love him just because he's him, not necessarily because he's a race car driver, and then yeah. ultimately tune in? Um, so we leverage social media a lot. Um, we have them do fun, goofy campaigns. Um, the weekend that NFL started, in Portland, we were racing in Portland that weekend. We had Pato Award and Felix. Pato's from Mexico. Felix is from Sweden. Right. We had them identify I NFL I logos. That. I mean, they knew nothing. Yeah. They finally got the Colts right, which is great because they live in Indy. Um, but I think they guessed Bengals for every team. So if you haven't seen it, um, that's a great uh, way to spend five minutes. Yeah. Alex, I think Alex was standing in the middle. And showed him, and they both were saying, he's just like, Alex was, um, as the resident American and football fan, he was, like, so appalled by (laughs) how bad they were. They pulled up, like, the New York Jets logo, which says says Jets. 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 It says New York Jets. And Papach was like, "Uh, mm, New York Jets? Uh." And we're like, oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, you can read. Check. Imagine if it wasn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting that you, you know, you kind of pull the curtain back and, and you see the business end of sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, some time ago, I was talking to a race car driver and, and you know, to the layperson, they might think, well, being in the car is the hardest part, right? Because the speed, the the uh, impact on the body, the, the just the nerves. And like the, the driver said, no, it's it's absolutely the easiest part because you can close off all that other noise, all the all the responsibilities that come with the job. Once you're in the cockpit, you're just sort of there doing your thing that you grew up doing, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of an interesting aspect because as you're describing all the, you know, the, the races, a couple hours in a in a what a four day jam packed stint of work outside oh, totally. of you know, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, so just kind of interesting to hear that perspective. That's exactly right. Like 500, you know, the race is the longest and well, physically not so demanding because it's an oval. So they're, you know, muscle memory almost by the end of the month. But all the practices and everything, like it's a pretty physically demanding month, but the drivers will tell you over and over again that that's a cakewalk compared to all of the media all the and all of the sponsor events, and, all the times that they have to be on. Yeah. Um, outside of the race car. That would drive me nuts. I'm I, not the kind of person to be wired to want to go and like smile in front of the cameras and shake the hands and kiss the babies kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. By like May 25th, they are like you can see on their face that they are just drained, but like trying to hold it together. It's yeah. got to be challenging, especially if you're a, you know, quote unquote fan favorite 
like you've got to be extra on. You know, mm-hmm. You've always got to have the smile because especially in this day and age, there's, it's like I tell my teenage kids, you're always on camera. Just, just know you're always on camera. Yes. And that's that same aspect. And when you are, especially in indie where people do especially know who you are because of the prevalence of, of IndyCar, mm-hmm. I just, I, I, I would not, I would, well, I definitely would not be a fan favorite. <laughs> Yeah, you'd you'd be surprised though because I mean like Alex Rossi, he has this shtick that like he's, you know, reserved and he is an introvert absolutely, but like the way he presents himself on camera, it's like he loves to hate it and hates to love it as well. Yeah. Um and that's just become like his his MO and fans like eat that up. And so yeah, he's always he's one of my favorites to work with just because like you know that it's got to be good for him to like really enjoy it. And then once you nail it, you're like, all right, I feel proud of myself today. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So that's a good tie in. Um, what having gone through your first year now, what was what are the biggest challenges in your position or for your position? We talked a little bit about this already, but because IndyCar isn't one of these, you know, top tier sports to mainstream America. Yeah. I think it's really just like finding relevance for an audience. Um, you know, the racetrack stuff for me too, that's easy. Like the media's there. It's easy to pitch some media member that knows your team, knows your drivers in and out. But how do we get people who have never been to an IndyCar race interested in going and becoming a fan? So I've been really trying to focus my job on like the non-endemic medias, the national media resources. But you have to build that trust and build that rapport with them in order to get that. So that's one, because I think the team can't do it without IndyCar. Indy can't do it without the team. So we're trying to really work together and boost the the brand recognition of IndyCar as a series and then ultimately our drivers as well. But then also, I think it's that, like what you mentioned earlier about the drivers, you know, they have to be on. And as the communications person who's making them do another interview or telling them that they have to go to this partner event. It's developing that trust and that um, that willingness from them to basically be like, all right, I know that this is not what I want to do, but you are having me do this for a good reason. So I'm going to trust you to like make that this is in my best interest. And so fortunately, we have a great team of drivers um, and while Felix is now at Meyer Shank, we've got David Malukas, who's this up and comer in the IndyCar series and a character out of this world. Um, they're they're easy to get that trust, but then it's just up for to me to maintain it and make sure that every opportunity that I present to them is fun, is worthwhile, and is going to boost their brand as well as ours. Right. I mean, you've got to basically get their buy-in. And how, so how do you do that with, you know, I guess somewhat fortunately there's not a, a super fast revolving door on drivers because they're under contract, but you are seeing new faces. How do you establish that relationship to get that buy-in when you have someone known to the series, but new coming into the team? I see my role to a degree as customer service. Um, you know, I am there to be like their person that they can rely on um, and give them good opportunities. So like with David, for example, um, he and I have been in contact for a few weeks now, and it's just really like building those conversations, asking him, like, what do you want to get out of it? What do you want your brand to be? What if I can get you any interview with some media out there, like who would it be? And then do my best to get that done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's there's a certain part that's like the team has needs. We have to, you know, answer some of the media that may not necessarily have the biggest audience, but it helps the sport. So giving them a good balance of like, this is an amazing opportunity that you would never pass down. And this is one that like, yeah, you're going to have to log on on a Tuesday at 930 and do this Zoom interview, but there are people reading the story and this is why. Sure. Uh, switching gears a little bit. See right there? Switching gears. In the, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you look at any sp- any sport that you've kind of mentioned, NFL, NBA, but let's talk motorsport. Um, there have been female drivers, you know, in and out of the series. Danica Patrick, probably the most consistent uh, in IndyCar and beyond, uh, but nothing really consistent the last several years. You have, refreshingly speaking, you have seen 
um, endeavors, teams that have been women-based. You've, you can watch, I mean, you're watching the race on TV and you see a person go over the wall in the pit crew and you see it's a female that's changing a tire, things like that. And you're, so you're seeing more and more elements of, of female participation in what has historically been a male-dominated industry. Behind the cameras, have what has that been like for you entering the industry and trying to sort of further that involvement and that diversification of, hey, it's not just a boys club? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been an ongoing theme kind of throughout my career. Um, collegiate was a little bit different because you have designated male and female sports. Um, and I think ultimately, like diversity starts at the college level because it's there. You just have to figure out the best way to work with it. Um, but in the airlines, I mean, think of the last time you flew and saw a female pilot mm-hmm. um, and then mechanic, which you don't really see because they're, you know, back behind the scenes. But I mean, it's like 0.03% of mechanics are females in the airline industry. Um, and so then that was really the environment that I was in whenever I got to um, the racing team. But in addition to kind of like McLaren being you know, having this mission of being the most engaging team in the paddock. The other thing that drew me to McLaren is that they are very committed to their sustainability efforts, which is inclusive of diversity. Um, So I think that the racing world has a long way to go. Um, One, like racing is all about funding, like in basketball and football and soccer, like you can get a long way. You can get pretty much to pro as long as you've got talent. Um, the most talented driver may not get anywhere because they don't have the buy-in from yeah. sponsors or the money to back them up from yeah. you know family. So I think it's hard. I think it's an additional barrier from a female standpoint because they have that extra point to prove because they're, you know, a unicorn in that. And then it's like, okay, well, if you have a family, will that take you out of racing because you're going to be more committed to your family and, you know, you have obviously a pregnancy to to deal with. So I think there's a little bit more risk with female drivers. Um, that's unfortunate, but hopefully we can get there. However, from the rest of the racing world, like that should happen now. Um, like that should be something that is spotlighted and an ongoing going conversation. I'm happy to be like part of that. I don't know if I could necessarily be the spokesperson on it today, but hopefully, you know, can get there. However, um, there's a lot of initiative. There's a lot of organizations within racing. There's Women in Motorsport North America that's just getting started. There's this organization, awesome organization called Grid Click that is not just for employees or people who want to work within the sport, but they're also like encouraging female fans. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times with female fans, like they got in through Drive to Survive. So they're talking this like pop culture of racing and it's like almost looked down on of like, well, you don't really know the drivers. You don't know the stats, but I'm interested. I'm watching every race. Um, So it gives them a platform to kind of like be vocal in their fandom. Um, And we've seen a lot more of those fans come to racing and reach out to me, reach out to my colleagues um, to figure out like, how'd you get into it? How did you get over that imposter syndrome of like, oh, this is a place for me. This is where I can, you know, insert my talents and and have success. So along those same lines, what advice would you give the younger Lauren today who's maybe considering it or is interested in sports or frankly, more specifically, interested in motor car racing, but maybe concerned about trying to break into that industry? If you have the skill and the talent and the courage to do it like there's no one stopping you yeah um no one that i've worked with has blinked in the fact that i'm a woman in the paddock um i think that there is that hesitation of like is this a place for me because i don't see me there already but like our team last year whenever i stepped into mclaren we had eight females one year later we have 16 Nice. I mean, so people are, we're one, as a team, we're becoming more intentional of like, all right, let's seek candidates who are diverse, not just females, but of ethnicity, of any background. Um, but then also, like, you're seeing it more. So then you're seeing like, oh, 
there's a female doing that role. I can do it too. We have a kick-ass engineer, Kate Gunlack, who um, has been such an inspiration for other people. In fact, there are two other um, engineers on our team now that are female, and she like handpicked them to come to our team. And that's what it takes. Like It takes someone to say, like, I recognize talent. I know she can do it. She's coming on board right. with us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want the best person for the job. If they happen to be female, great, whatever. I mean, we want a, a kick-ass team, as mm-hmm. you said. Yeah. Um, Brian and Zach, I, I only know them at you know, arm's length, but um, both highly competitive individuals. And um, I, I think they're they're taking that team, uh, as just, as we just described, and trying to mold it into the best team possible and certainly um, make McLaren one of the, the preeminent teams in an IndyCar, if not motor racing in general. Yes. Yeah. What I love is that, like, they are totally bought into the mission. Um, I mean, Aero McLaren itself is a generally new team in IndyCar. Granted, our roots are Sam Schmidt yeah. um, racing. However, as a team, we're pretty new into it and we're wasting no time to like compete with the Ganassi, Andretti's, Penske's. Right. Who are those guys? I don't know. <laughs> Look mm. them up. Yeah, I'll Google them. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can see them on LinkedIn. So what what would you share with the IndyCar fans about what's to come? You know, what's what's it look like next year? What things that you can actually share? Yeah, so right now, um, let's see here, we're eagerly awaiting the schedule. Mm. There's a lot of... Part of it come, came out, right? Like nine yeah, races? bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, so they're slowly coming out. Some of it's because like IMSA has announced where we're racing alongside them. And then some, huh. you know, obviously the Indy 500 is always Memorial Day weekend. Oh. So we can kind of piece them together. But there are a few wild cards that are out there. Like, is Milwaukee going to happen? Um, Texas, I think, is in flux right now. So I think within the next two weeks, we should know the schedule. Um, and that's exciting for us because that really dictates our lives and where, we're, where we are. Right. But, um, you know, as a team, last year we were growing from two cars to three cars. So our staff increased by 40% from, um, from the year before. And so this year... We're able to kind of like smooth all the things out. Last year, it was just like get people on board as fast as we can and put them wherever they fit today. Now we're able to kind of see where their successes and failures were and put them in right positions um, and then smooth out processes. So we're really excited because I think that will let us be more competitive and more consistent. Um, That was one downfall of this past season is that we had really high highs, but then they would be combated with really low lows. So I think consistency will be great. Um, we are super excited about the 500 next year because we are having Kyle Larson That's as our right, fourth yeah. car. Mm. Um, so you said you're a NASCAR fan. I don't know if not that was really. in jest. That was in jest. Um, I mean, nothing against NASCAR necessarily. It's just not my cup of tea. Well, hopefully IndyCar is. I mean, being born and raised in Indy and right. an open wheel guy, I am. Yeah. Perfect. And well, also probably, I'll speak for on behalf of both of us, but- a little more op- or not, a little more interested in oval races. Oh yeah. Um. So like, t- if Texas goes away, that'll be disappointing. I mean, I know. maybe there's aspects of that race that I'm just unaware of as the casual fan. But like, I want to see races like that. They're exciting. I, mean, I like street and road courses. Um, if there's enough passing if, opportunities, it's if, not if like the right F1 ones. where oh, so and so gets the pole, he has a ninety percent chance of winning. Right. Yeah. I do like the feuding. That's be. That it could, it's like it kind of got a little hot for a while, which was cool between F1 and IndyCar, and it, and it kind of goes away. And then every now and then, I think that they need more feuding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good for, like, just get the little PR aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I and, think there's um, there's good potential to have our, like, little villains, but also, like, the guys in IndyCar that are racing. Um, and then, obviously, you had Kath, um, Kathleen or Catherine uh, for the 500, so guys and yeah. females. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they're all just really nice like guys next door so there's not that like villain except for willpower sometimes and i love when willpower willpowers he's amazing <laughs> that's a good way of putting it he's one yeah, of my yeah. favorites that's great that's great and then then we need one more engine supplier preferably porsche i would really like to see oh. porsche built engines in the uh i didn't I, well that would probably never happen knowing but, you I, I understand why the porsche thing came out well I, they but they have surprised. a history even penske has a history with porsche yeah and mercedes yeah mm-hmm 
have, having some more manufacturers involved would be cool. Yeah. I think it would be cool for everyone because, I mean, you think of the, the broad scope, more diversity in terms of different types of cars or different engines, whatever, certainly would bring in more funding, I would think. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, easier said than done. Yeah, absolutely. And there's that a whole business neat. aspect of it, you know, dollars and cents. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's someone else. What have you, that. I know you've only been in it for a little over a year. What have you seen um, in terms of the, Pen- I'll call it the Penske effect. So Roger acquires IMS and really the, the league. The, yeah. The, the series. All, mm-hmm. the series. all the things. Mm-hmm. All of it. Um, what have you seen, even even in just a year, that that owner that new ownership has brought to the table? A few things. One, anybody who went to the 500 this year or the GPs, like the place is immaculate. Yeah. The IMS is like the most pristine place in Indy right now. It's perfect. Um, so that's one. Which says a lot. As big as that freaking place is, when they kept the troughs. Yes. Don't touch yes. the troughs. <laughs> well, and, time honor tradition. And nothing right against there. Roger, um, but Doug Bowles is probably. I mean, I don't have to say. I've said it before. I think Doug's the man. Like, oh, totally. that is he is in the perfect position as a perfect person for that job. So that certainly lends itself well. Yes. Yes. Um, also, their staff. Um, granted, I was. I've just been here a year, but I know compared to when I started to. 12 months later, um, they have more resources, which is amazing. Right, yeah. And the staff that they've attracted is top tier. Um, so they're able to use resources from IndyCar to the IMS to the Penske organization. They all kind of pitch in when mm-hmm. work is needed. Um, so I've seen an amazing increase because even the people that we dealt with um, or worked with before were great. They were just you know, stretch so thin. So now yeah. they're able to actually do their jobs and have resources to support them. So the staffing has been amazing. And then there's a um, a good start to bigger marketing initiatives. You saw last year um, leading into the 500, you had the 100 Days to Indie show mm-hmm. where yeah. um, I think from the content standpoint, it was, was a, great. an overwhelming success. I think viewership was lower than what they hoped. But um, I mean, think about year one of Drive to Survive. It really took season two and three to get people behind the series and give them right. content to keep watching. Um, so I'm hopeful that we have season two come about because Vice were awesome to work with. The film crew, they were truly like flies on the wall capturing this amazing content and, and really cool to work with as well. Um, and then you've got a GQ campaign that Pato is actually part of um, that Penske has, you know, driven that effort as well. So I think that there's a lot more like big name marketing that mm. they're finally like courageous enough to to go for and feel like they need to in order to get up to the levels of F1 and NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually watched that 100 Days to Indy. And, you know, as an IndyCar guy, it, it was it was just a cool aspect of kind of behind the scenes of what the industry is like. It's kind of like the business nerd. I like to kind of see what the behind the scenes of that aspect, but then also some of the personal side of it. Mm-hmm. But you hit the nail on the head. It's creating and driving that content because in today's society, in terms of how people consume branding, it's it's not just going to an event, but it's, it's all the off days. And how do you right. gain that interest and how do you create new new viewers and, 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 you know, new fans, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we talk about this all the time as a team is, you know, our drivers are the best ways to connect with fans, not necessarily from like how they perform in the car. That's a given, but like, how do we showcase them as people? And that series did exactly that. Like you've got Pato who lives a wild lifestyle was, you know, playing with all of his toys down in Mexico and just like you get to see that type of a person of who he is or even like Joseph, everyone talked about him and his muscles on the show, but like how he was a like dad. His, house. Looked yeah, his sweet. house was very cool. Yeah. Um, but then you got to see his like son as well. And and you see that part, which, you know, otherwise you would never even know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. His body and his fitness were just, meh. I mean, <laughs> I wasn't very impressed, but 
I think you're the in pool the pool was pretty sweet. In the minority on that one. I'm pretty sure I wasn't <laughs> the target market on the shirtless scene. I'm just Probably saying. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. That those days are gone. <laughs> um so some pop some parting words of wisdom or maybe share if you can. What does the average person not know about IndyCar or an IndyCar team that would be worth that you would want them to know? Hmm. Or even more specifically, is there something about McLaren IndyCar that you would want that you want the market to know? I mean, it's not your hmm. your podium. Get on the soapbox and yeah. So I think um, I think there's twofold. I think me, I was not necessarily a racing fan before I got this job, um, but like the the differences of racing, hmm. you know, from F1, which is very much manufacturer focused and, and engineering focused, you've got, um, you know, cars that are the most technologically advanced machines ever. And then the driver has to fit into that and they can make changes based off of the driver and their comfort level. Whereas like IndyCar, it is pure speed machine. Um, you know, it is the chassis are all identical. And you've got two manufacturers. So the driver has to be an athlete to be able to manual steer that yeah, machine. I say no power around. steering. No power steering. Yeah. Um, and the cars go like the fastest speeds because of the ovals, like we talked about. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think in or in order for me to have truly appreciated racing, it was like knowing that like racing is not all the same. Um, right. there are distinguishments and and each series is exciting for its own, you know, merit. Um, and then as far as McLaren in general, um, I think it's cool to like see the history of the team and like we're making our comeback here. McLaren, like in the mid 70s, was one of the most successful IndyCar teams um, with drivers like Johnny Rutherford, who is a three time Indy 500 champion. Mm -hmm. um, and this past year, we've celebrated kind of 60 years of history. So in addition to me just like learning about McLaren, I had like a history lesson as well. But I think it's it's neat for both people who've always been fans of racing to kind of see this resurgence of McLaren, but then also this, you know, fun, new, engaging brand kind of like energizing the paddock. Um, that actually leads me to one more point. I hope we have time. Um, we have what, all day. What I think is the coolest thing about McLaren within IndyCar specifically is that Look around the different teams and not to knock on anybody, but McLaren is a team. Like we have papaya on all three cars. Talked about papaya earlier. Oh, I hear what you're saying. I'm yeah. sticking to the brand. Yeah, no, that's um, But all the cars look the same. You can go to any other team and you may not know who they're driving for yeah, because there's nothing that you Sponsor driven. Them. The liveries are sponsor driven versus team driven. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you see people out in the stands, like- I think that our fan base is growing a lot, but it's more obvious because no matter who someone is cheering for, which driver on McLaren's team, they're all wearing papaya. If you go to another team, they could be wearing blue, they could be wearing yellow, they could be wearing red. And it could change every other weekend. Yes. That, as I'm a kind of a brand, whatever. Um, snob. Yeah. I was going to use that's a different okay. word that's, that's probably good. not no, appropriate. Um, no, I was just calling him a snob. Nothing to do with branding. <laughs> I, I agree with that a hundred percent because the more they see that car in its consistency, the more they're going to buy into it potentially. Um, mm -hmm. The only challenge is no on ovals. I get like some of the some of the guys. Who. I'm not going to yeah, I'm not going to call other call out other other drivers because they're doing whatever they can to bring in the sponsorship dollars to allow them to continue to actually mm -hmm. have that job and do what they love. But literally, when that car has to change every race. And I, I get why it's happening, but it's hard to build that consistency. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. if if the McLaren cars look the same and you can see the connection between the three, like, yeah, I yep. get it. And even when we change our partners, um, because like for the number six car, we have three primary, spot, par, primary sponsors on it. So it rotates through the season and they always have the same feel. So it's always primarily papaya but then has a different color that's kind of its accents. Right. And as long as that partner's okay with going with, you know, just their black logo or just their white logo or something that fits in, though, with the overall scheme that's going to stay consistent. Yeah. That's part of the deal. And you can get away with it and mm -hmm. more power to you. Yeah. Yeah. I would say our branding 
I'm biased, but I think in recent years has just become like what IndyCar is like all growing toward. Yeah. Now, speaking of branding, if you'd like to loan me that car in the gym and you want me just to do laps on 465 <laughs> or go, or I can, I can just, I can take it out to wherever the race is and just drive it around their local highway loop. I'm more than happy to do that. You have to be Tony Kanon to it, which is pretty speedy. So I'm not sure if that's possible. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Don't, don't, I've got a well, lot of fight in me. I've got a lot of fight. We in drive me. by Tony's house all the time that we live fairly close without saying where. And, um, maybe, maybe when Tony does have it, we'll just say, Hey, there you go. We'll come over and he's stronger than me and he can ride a bike faster than me, but I can still outrun him. There you go. Perfect. Not in a distance. Really funny story though. Um, <laughs> you, you're familiar with the Rev event of the mm-hmm. beginning of May. Uh, our parents were there one year and the number of times, People who did not know uh, the story behind Tony's father, who had already passed away, uh, the number of times people came up to our father asking if he was Tony's dad, like not just one time, but like seven, eight times. It was kind of funny. That is amazing. Yeah. Now I need to see. Is Kanan, is he, does he have Lebanese? He has, he's from Brazil. Oh yeah. But one of his parents or a grandparent immigrated from Lebanon to So there's Tony Kanan and and Graham Rahal, who as my wife says, her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. Oh, also, okay. well, it's, You're okay it's with the, that? Whatever. I mean, we all have our thing. <laughs> whatever. You know, it's cool. All right, cool. Well, Lauren, thank you for coming in and, and shedding, sharing your story and shedding some light on McLaren IndyCar. We appreciate it. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. Likewise. Appreciate you guys. And thank all you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Industrious Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for viewing it on the Assessa YouTube channel. If that's where you're catching this episode. Don't forget, if you're on there, hit that subscribe button. Hit the little notification icon to be alerted when new episodes like this one drop. It won't cost you a dime. You don't have to get in an IndyCar to do it. No problem. But if you want um, to, we can make that happen. Lauren promised. Maybe oh maybe in a simulator <laughs> at best. All right. Thanks, thanks, guys, for joining us again. And don't forget, be industrious.